Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, and thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Today's episode is the third in our series with John Huey called Atheism and Sobriety. And this installment explores the topic of abstinence and the purity of atheist thought. And it's all laid out in John's essay, which is posted on our website in the show notes. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's a husband, wife, daughter, son, mom, dad, best friend, colleague, job, hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On Beyond Belief Sobriety, our mission includes building a strong community, staying connected, and working to break the stigma. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink. To expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at Soberlink.com BBS. And now, episode 279, Abstinence and the Purity of Atheist Thought. Our conversation begins with John Huey uh, talking about his recent recovery from a illness that almost took his life. Well, I'm doing okay, but like, you know, Keith Richards once said, when asked if he was uh, uh, happy to be seen, you know, he said, I'm happy to be seen anywhere. (laughs) Because I had a, uh, you know, I had a bit of a health crisis in May and June and ended up with uh, some serious problems that put me in the ICU. And we don't talk about personal stuff on here. We're not here for uh, confession time or anything like that. But just uh, suffice it to say, uh, when I came out of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, ICU, I was, I was having some hallucinations because of the drugs they give you. But none of them had to do with having a spiritual experience, having met God, or in other ways, uh, any kind of way being converted. So Thank I want goodness to, for that. Uh, exactly. I want <laughs> to assure all our devoted fans that even though my butt blood oxygen level went down to almost nothing and my uh, blood pressure was the same, that when, I, when they brought me back and I came out, I was still the hardcore atheist I was before I had the near-death experience. So Good. That would have been disastrous if you would have found God. Um. <laughs> well, you know, then I would have known I did see some space aliens, okay? <laughs> and I told my wife there was a CIA conspiracy at one point when I was just coming out 
from the five days of ICU. And, uh, you know, a lot of other things I won't go into. It was, uh, it was a terrible experience. I don't wish it on anyone. But uh, it does get you focused on what's important in your life. And, you know, from a personal standpoint, it got me even more focused and more grateful than I was before about my wonderful daughters and my incredible wife who went through, she went through worse things than I did because she had to sit there and, you know, she refused to go home. They tried to pry her out of that place uh, and send her home and she refused. She stood there and watched me or sat there and watched me and my daughters were there. One of my daughters in five days, she flew round trip from Chicago twice because of the condition that I was in. They told her to go home and one point she turned around and flew right back. You know, those are people that care about you. And that makes you very, very grateful about that. All right. But, you know, I'm also glad and grateful to be able to have come out of it with my brain somewhat intact, even you know, despite the low blood oxygen and whatnot. I believe that, you know, I've had the neurologist give me some cognitive tests. And, you know, there are a few little things going on, but I think the brain is working okay. So we're going to find out here as we dive in to yet another incredibly dense topic in this third of five and who knows, John, maybe six, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about number six sort of in the back of my mind, but I certainly have num- uh, the five sort of sketched out, but um, the number three is regarding abstinence. Now, I've written about abstinence before. Um, One of my articles that I wrote some years ago, a few years back, and that you reprinted when you were running the website and is now archived on, uh, I believe, the uh, Secular AA website. And you may want to link that along with my article that's going to post with this. Um, I went into like the personal aspects of my uh, journey toward and to uh, abstinence regarding the people I knew and the people I learned from and how I got focused on that. This is a little different because I've come to see abstinence as an absolute value, all right? And it's it's a much deeper topic than it appears to be on the surface. And it has universal applicability to, I believe, personally, it's just an opinion as all my stuff is, uh, to everyone who is in any way involved in this whole business of getting and staying sober. It's, It's beyond critical. And as such, I believe that the atheist position for People who are not believers. We'll go in a little bit further into the talk. We'll talk about briefly about folks who are believers. But for those of us who are unbelievers, I think abstinence is even more critical than I originally thought. And it takes on a whole different uh, patina, as it were, as we take a closer look at it. So are you thinking about it more as something more than just the absence of drinking alcohol? Exactly. It's a fundamental value that we arrive at, at least some of us, okay, can or do arrive at through our atheism. And our atheism not only reinforces it, 
it strengthens it over the long term. It just doesn't reinforce that initial decision that everyone has to make. It reinforces it over the long term. And like so many other things in the recovery community, it involves a degree of paradox. Uh, I, when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about abstinence as something that's partially arrived at through a acknowledgement of our limitations of our, as we go into what is happening around us, as we have made our decision to quit drinking or using, and we start to progress. We take a look at ourselves and we take a look at the world around us and we see that we're, you know, not only human, but we're sort of, in many ways, we're drastically limited, you know, in terms of the influence we have over events uh, or the uh, influence we have over the course of history or the influence, in fact, we have over others. I mean, that is, that's extremely limited. Uh, we do have a lot of influence over what happens to us, but that's in the the micro sense. In the macro sense, we have to acknowledge that we have not only limits, but fairly inherent and severe limitations. Would that be uh, applicable to just uh, limitations on the ability to drink normally? That that's a that's it. And it, it, it can it can broaden on to other things. Obviously, you know, the as far as, you know, abstinence goes, the you know, one of the first hurdles that anyone has to get over is this ridiculous assumption that an addict or an alcoholic can use or drink normally. That's been disproven over and over and over again. I know maybe some of your other guests and some of the other people that appear on the podcast this, these days would disagree with that. But, you know, my nearly 36 years of experience with sobriety leads me to believe that there is no variance from that, at least in the experience that I have. But um, the, this, this basic fundamental tenet that we call abstinence, it is unconditional. And atheism, as we look around the world as an atheist in a realistic way, we, we actually end up defining this term unconditionality. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a fundamental uh, requirement for us to move forward. Because how are we going to move forward in long-term sobriety, days, weeks, months, years, decades, unless we look at this as an unconditional absolute value? So how is that different from how someone who believes in God would see it? Wouldn't they also see uh, no that way? We'll go into that in a bit. I mean, as far as the net effect, there's no difference in it whatsoever, right? As far as, you know the net effect of somebody that really believes that stuff and stays sober. You know, I have no, you know, that that's, you know, just a, you know, complete and utter fantasy world. But if it gets you there, that's what gets you there. This podcast, this talk isn't for them. You know, I would urge, you know, most believers to turn it off right now 
if they, you know, I know you don't like to hear that, but you know, that's the, you know, I, I, I'm not talking to you if you're a believer, you know, your beliefs are irrelevant to me and have been since, as I've said many times, I was a very young kid. So, you know, what I'm, what I'm talking about is people of unbelief and, you know, I use the word atheist, other people and, you know, yeah, you know, there we go. So we, I understand. Yeah, uh, let's just yeah focus on those um, who who are atheists and are look and are looking at um, maybe struggling with alcohol and 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 looking at getting sober. And this is a good way for them to think about their sobriety rather than thinking in the terms of being powerless and needing this. No, and that, no, right? all of that stuff, that horseshit. Excuse me. Oh, that's the first. That's the first. But it's just a matter of understanding your limitations and then understanding that abstinence is unconditional. It, it's a must for your personal growth. This is about what we do know. All right. This is not about what we don't know. This is not about speculation. This is not about cosmology. This is not about the great world at large. This is what we do know about our drinking and or drug use. And what we do know the observable limitations that we see in our lives or have seen in our lives when we went through that course, in my case, 23 years from the age of 15 to the age of 38, which still astonishes me. I'm, you know, uh, going to be 74 in December and, you know, I've you know, been sober now for, you know, considerably longer than I drank. But the fact that I lasted the way I did it the fact that I lasted through those 23 years is still pretty astonishing to me. My observable limit, my personal observable limitations when it comes to, in my case, alcoholism, which I call it. I know they call it all kinds of things now. I'm not very trendy. I guess I'll never call it alcohol use disorder. But in any event, what I, what I came to the conclusion to on you know January third, nineteen eighty seven, is a you know I hit the wall in terms of my limitations, and as an atheist, that's what we have to latch on to. We don't have this exterior veneer. This, in my opinion, all of this, uh, these other trappings, all of these lists, all of these sayings, all of these cute expressions on a clubhouse wall, you know, what I have and what I had was an acknowledgement of those observable limitations and the inextricable connection between my observable limitations and the word abstinence. And that's what we're talking about today. All right. Atheists think clearly. Right. Many do. Many think, you know, when I look at the conversations that I have on the Internet or on Facebook or whatever with people that I consider to be friends or certain groups I go to that are, you know, that are not very integrated. They're almost universally, predominantly atheists. I'm, I'm often struck by the clarity of these folks thoughts. You know, they don't have any confusion about the dark metaphysical facts of existence, right? Or very little confusion. 
They tend to be extremely realistic in their approach to life. And it's approach, it's an approach that I would suggest for anyone who is caught in the midst of complications as it revolves around your initial and continued sobriety. Yes. That I think that that's probably the most critical component of what you've written here is if you're um if you're an atheist or really just someone who for whom religion is not even a, an issue or whatever and you go to a recovery meeting where um they stress spirituality it complicates things uh spiritual terms you have to try to figure out what the hell are they talking about and if you just speak clearly as an atheist we're talking about facts and actual uh, events there's no other way. That's the only way it can present itself to a person of true non-belief. Now, we get to this issue about, you know, religious, okay? Uh, you know, religion motivates people. Uh, religion is uh, a uh, indisputable fact in many believers' lives. They find it not only comforting, but essential. And, well, you know, I don't want to say, I don't give a, I don't care, right? I don't care. Uh, they're sober. They're doing it that way. Many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, many millions of people have done it that way. But people like me have dropped dead in the droves in trying to deal with that. And that's the folks I'm trying to reach. I didn't let it kill me because I was, as I've said many times, I was very fortunate. I had my atheist group here very early on in my sobriety. I live in a big East Coast city and, you know, Washington, D.C. isn't exactly a capital of faith unless you happen to be a Roman Catholic like Kavanaugh or somebody. Uh, or Alito, or one of them. Um, we won't go down that road. But, uh, you know, unless you're one of them, it's not a very religious place. So I actually uh, had a lot of advantages with this when I started up early on. And I'm not minimizing the struggles that folks have out in God's country in the midst of this mass psychosis, which is how I would probably define it that, you know, uh, that revolves around contemporary religion and a lot of the negative issues that we see every day regarding that. But needless to say, they're sober, they're doing it that way. And if it's getting and keeping them sober, let's just sort of leave them behind. We need to leave them to work out their own lives, their own historical imperative. And they need to be in their program, not mine. All right. I don't need to be in that program. I was in that program for a long, long time, and I no longer need to be in that program, and I am not in that program, even though I go places where some atheists and agnostics continue to use those initials, and people sort of yell at me about that from time to time. Why do you go there? They call it, no, no, I go there because, you know, the net effect is the effect that I'm seeking, which is a place without any of that stuff, all right? So we're not going to talk about them anymore. They've got their thing. We've got ours. 
Now, we, we're not going to talk about them per se, but we are going to talk a little bit about the problems that we have with them when we confront people that conflate their belief with our unbelief. They somehow think that deep down we're going to find God, right? I, when, when I started this podcast, I'm sort of joking about, you know, coming out of the, you know, the, the hallucinations of the ICU, just about everybody that goes, I was under for five days and, you know, I came out with a full-blown ICU psychosis. Uh, that was psychosis. I knew it was psychosis. When the drugs and the other issues that were going on with me cleared up, my brain cleared up. And once my brain cleared up and I wasn't seeing things anymore, which was totally medically induced, I came back to the real world. That's the world I live in. And there's no way, even in that extreme circumstance, they could have come and prayed over me or done whatever the hell they do to people in those situations. That wouldn't have made a bit of difference to me because I'm an atheist and I'm going to die an atheist. And that's the way it's going to be. And to be subjected to people that are trying to reform and change that is one of the biggest problems that many people in sobriety face. And as I've urged in other forums, you don't need to put up with that. You do not need to engage with that. You do not need to talk to them about that. You have no obligation whatsoever to them in any way. You have an obligation to yourself your sobriety, and your family, if you have one. I feel sometimes that the people that are dogmatically religious, where they believe that things just have to be done their way, they're so frustrating to me because I don't see that coming from from my from me or from you or from any atheist. I'm not trying to get anyone to do things my way. I'm okay with somebody that wants to do do something however they want to do it. But I occasionally get emails, and I got an email from someone not that long ago who told me how disappointed they were with this podcast because I had made some kind of a snide comment about um, AA or somebody being religious or spiritual or whatever. And it was like, you know, do they have any idea how much crap we've been given by people who tell us that we're wrong or that we need to do something different? Do they, he, you know, I felt like writing a a long letter to him about the harassment that I went through in an AA meeting. But anyway, enough of that. But you get that from one side. It does happen. You get it it all kinds of ways. All right. And they're diverting me from my, primary purpose, if I allow the passive-aggressive suggestion. It is true. I mean, it is true. It's a waste of time. Yeah, it's overtly aggressive sometimes. I've heard people describe the, but in my, it's much more commonly passively aggressive, where they are pushing this book, this steps, and all this other stuff, which is even widely distributed in in the secular community. Uh, yeah, interpreted in different ways. Yes, and I'm just well. I'm not interpreting it at all. I categorically reject it, and that's a whole different podcast. Going back to my 
2018 talk at our last in-person international convention. That was what that was about. This isn't about that. But yeah, we, we can't fail to mention that we cannot be diverted from our bedrock conviction about the necessity of our own abstinence by other people's opinions of our essence, ourselves, our methods, or anything about us. Yeah, we have to stay focused on our path and it, and not be diverted and not be, yeah, not, mm-hmm, yeah, because it's, it's a total waste of time. It's a total waste of time. And it would have been a waste of my time to write that guy an email. Yeah, I mean, it just engaging with such people. You know, there was one on the Facebook, on that Beyond Belief Facebook group, which has, you know, the, you know, the crazies invade regularly there. And there was one guy that stirred up an enormous hoo-ha about something. And then he got frustrated because he couldn't convert people. And he got up and left. And people were writing all of these long screeds to him about him leaving and stuff. And I just said, goodbye and good luck. That was my... And you're talking about uh, the old AA Beyond Belief Facebook group, of which I have nothing to do right. with. It and this has podcast nothing to do is, with yeah, this podcast. Yeah, that, absolutely not. At one time, yeah, it's and God knows what. Who knows what's going on with that now? I don't oh, care. Oh, I, 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 you do got, know, but I, I, I yeah, don't participate. It's got high entertainment value for me. Okay. And plus, there's so much misinformation there, and so much misdirection there that I feel compelled to chime in with my hardcore atheism from time to time, because it's, you know, and there's many people there that wish I would go away. And if I had died in the ICU, I'm sure there would have been a, there wouldn't have been, there might've been some non-alcoholic sparkling wine cork popping in various places like Canada and England and a couple of other spots, but uh, in Southern California and other, you know, uh, seats of enlightenment and secular recovery. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, uh, what I've got to focus on is not them. I've got to focus on this central core value. Now, atheists do not have a monopoly on the word abstinence. The word abstinence can be arrived at and used in a, a variety of ways. I do not define the word abstinence for the world. I define it for myself and for the observable effect that the utilization of that word and the concept that is associated with it on my fellow alcoholics over decades of close observation. All right. Now, there is a absolute value. There's a purity. And I'm getting around to the title of this thing, all right? There's an absolute purity in approaching the word abstinence without any spiritual context whatsoever. When you do that, you begin to boil the word down to its absolute essence. And it's Absolute essence is, I hate to use cliches, but I'll use one. It's a simple answer to a complicated problem. That's what a real atheist or an atheist who's committed, right, like I am, 
is providing to anybody I might talk to, if I'm providing anything, I'm providing a simple answer to a complicated problem. I've dealt with a couple of very difficult cases in recent memory and in recent years, and I've dealt with some very difficult cases in the past. Universally, what they failed to do, in my opinion, is grasp the simplicity of the argument, which is that abstinence is the only thing that works 100% of the time. If you can't get that, all right, if you can't somehow understand that, then you start dickering with it. You start making your sobriety provisional. You start thinking about the maybes and the wherefores and the whatfores and the I was wrong by my mommy or my daddy was so mad at me or the bad. What about a situation where somebody does realize that abstinence is the answer, that they want to be abstinent because, but they can't, they keep drinking anyway. Well, there are mysteries in this. I'm I mean, not, you know people like that. You've met people like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. But, but they say they understand, but do they really? That's always my, they say they're getting it, but do they really? All right. I've seen the most incredible behaviors behind this failure to grasp that word. And some of it is in the realm of psychiatric practice. And I am not a practitioner. I don't have the letters MD or PhD, you know, behind my name. I'm just a, you know, bachelor's degree and went to graduate school at Georgetown for a while before I quit, who, uh, you know, learned a little bit about the practical realities of this along the way. I don't, I'm not one of your authors that comes on with a long resume uh, that can be pointed to behind this in the scientific realm. But my practical knowledge of this is extremely deep, all right? And I've become a reductionist. That's That's a term that's used negatively in many contexts. But in this context, reducing the essence of what we're trying to do to this is, you know, not in any way negative. There's nothing negative that can happen to you if you reduce your ideas about sobriety to that word. What bad could possibly happen to you if you totally reduced it to that? No matter what's going on with you, that's how I've, that's how I've always viewed it. So, and I think we've talked about this before. So, I have always viewed um, sobriety, the word sobriety or being sober, as being abstinent of, of not drinking alcohol. That's what it means to me. Period. But other people have put more put other meanings on it that that you can be 
you know, we've talked about this before too, a dry drunk and all this crap that there's that, that's that sobriety is more than just the absence of drinking. They're, they're going back to their moral authority. All of a sudden when they get sober, they have some moral authority that allows them to make pejorative comments about you that are unrelated to your drinking. But would you say that my way of thinking about, um, at, um, Sober means abstinent from alcohol. Is that a reductionist view? Then would I? I mean, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. That, that's because how I see you it. are sober. I've always. Said I mean, it that if way. you're abstinent, you're you sober. Are period. Sober. I could be a total asshole. I can be a jerk, but I'm not drinking. I'm abstinent. Oh, I mean, uh, you can be a lot of things. All right. Um, what you are is different from that. Now, I have observed. That people's, as I've said here, I'm sure many times, people's behavior drastically improves once they remove, mostly, once they remove the substance from their system. I agree. But we it's don't all- have anything like a such, there's no such, and again, this is redundant for me, you know, there's no such thing as a personality change. You're still the same person. But your behavior your changes. behavior changes, and it's almost a natural thing when you stop drinking, isn't it? Honestly, I I, I think in a way it is. Well, there, there's a neurological, I believe, in a physiological. Uh, I mean, I felt a, a lightening of my, you know, my my. I was so. I had never been. I I'm not a depressive. Right, I don't suffer from depression. But I was so depressed when I came to the end of my drinking, I wanted to end my life, which is something I never wanted to do, all right? And when I sobered up, all of that sort of stuff went away. Now, that was just my story. And in a lot of cases, you know, I just reduce it to the old thing of, you know, what came first, the alcohol or the depression? If the depression came before the alcohol, that's, something that you have to treat some other way. But just my opinion is if you, if your depression was as a result of your alcoholism and drug use, it's likely to go away or drastically improve once you quit. And a lot of time it does. I've, I've, I've had, I've had doctors tell me that they can't even treat somebody until they stop drinking. They won't. But you know, the thing about sobriety is that really infuriates me as when people make these twists and turns and put up these hoops and barriers that people have to encounter or to jump through to maintain their abstinence and their sobriety. They make it conditional. For me, it's unconditional. Either you are or you aren't. If you're abstinent, you're sober. And that's it, all right? That's the way it. That's the way it works. Without any of this moral authority. Now, the purity of. Oh, I'm just going to read. I I had my little crib sheet here today, and I've got a I've got a I, I've got a little thing here. I'm, I'm going to read the purity of atheist thought as applied to the psychic and physical disturbances caused by alcoholic behavior patterns, disrupts through a commitment to abstinence 
those inherently negative actions, there is a purity in this reductive suggestion that I am making about the word abstinence. If you purely commit to that, your alcoholic behavior, as we were just discussing, is likely to be disrupted. And by making that commitment, those inherently negative actions, and your your actions when they become inherently negative, push you in even more negative directions, particularly when you're drinking and using. And it spirals down. And if you focus on those inherently negative reactions and behaviors, you're going to possibly be in trouble. I think that this commitment to abstinence flushes a lot of that stuff out of your system. That may, that's probably going to be controversial. I mean, it's not, it's not a drug. It's not a therapy. It's not a dictum, but it, it's like, it purifies a lot of the negativity that has taken over the alcoholic and addictive personality. The personalities there, the behavior changes, and the negative consequences seep away. And there's something very pure about that. And that happens because of this thing you did. Now, somebody could go back listening to this and saying, well, Huey, if this stuff is all true, why do I still need to go to meetings? Well, I still go to meetings because I still need to be reminded of that. Still, because life's not simple. Life's not easy. You know, my my wife is off in Kazakhstan for two weeks at a family wedding and a reunion with her high school and college buddies and just a bunch of responsibilities she has there. And life sucks here right now. I don't like being alone. I'm, I guess I've gotten pretty dependent on her in the last 16 plus years. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to go uh, downtown and try to pretend to be 40 years younger than I am and get some action going in one of those bars. I mean, that would be, if I was off my nut, you know, uh, I would, you know, all of a sudden look like Tom Cruise and be 35 years old, all right, and think I could get away with it. All right, because I'd be drunk and I'm not. I'm sitting here in my study trying to figure out what I need to do about the business that's in front of me today. Right. Not drunk on my ass downtown. Years ago, um, very tragically, I used to travel. I used to travel overseas. It seemed like once a month, but it was very frequently. And I would find my place in these hotels in Europe all the time. And 
and oftentimes because of my schedule, they'd be airport hotels. And I was sitting in the airport hotel, I think it was Amsterdam or Copenhagen, I forget which town, some someplace like that. And the phone rings in those days, people called you on landlines. That's a long time ago. That has to be more than 20 years ago. The landline rings in this hotel room. And it's somebody from Washington telling me that so-and-so is lost in Paris. His wife can't find him. Can you get on the train and go try to help her locate him since they knew I was over there? And I said, you're out of your mind. I did. I mean, I didn't say that. I was nicer than that. But that's what I was thinking. This person's out of their mind. We did everything. It was that first anniversary of that particular person. I'm not the crying kind. I don't shed too many tears. I, I do very rarely. But I was bawling like a baby at this person's first anniversary because it was such a hard-fought victory. Right? And to see him, a very high-level person, a very senior government official, we had a very important post overseas for our government. To see him in that condition again was almost more than I could take because he had forgotten about the importance of the word that we had tried to imbue in him in that first year, myself and a couple of friends of mine, was the centrality of this word absence. I could talk about a whole bunch of tragic stuff that I've seen, death and destruction. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that the practical reality of this purity of thought, once you grasp it, is profound. It will keep you sober. It has kept me sober. I can... I went through a lot of issues, personal, business, otherwise, uh, outside of the country and here. Um, you know, I did not have a totally unproblematic life in these years of sobriety. And I could have easily latched on to something, anything that would divert me from the idea that I had signed up to initially. So I'm giving, okay, this is hilarious. You know how they love to get up in churches and give testimony? I'm testifying here to you, John. That is really sort of funny. I find that really amusing. Uh, and, you know, but I know it to be true because I've seen it on both the positive and the negative end for so, so long. And I don't care how many gods you pray to or how many wives you promise to or, you know, how many children you have your regrets over and make your pledges to. If you don't internally grasp the nature of that word, when the shit hits the fan, you're fucked. Okay? And that I've seen happen over and over and over again, right? And the people, like I know, 
I have some friends that have been sober over 40 years and one way or another, they grasp that word and that concept every day, right? The ones I know. And even the people I know with incredibly problematic stories who stayed sober through them, through things that just, you know, indescribable, abominable things that have happened to them, have embraced the nature and essence of that word. And there's something very pure and purifying about that, no matter how you get there in one sense. But in the sense of the atheist, I think we boiled it down pretty well. Okay. Now, these conventional people in these conventional programs view all of this through the lens of an unseen force. There's an unseen force in the universe that is looking over their shoulder, right? And helping them do this. Now, as we discussed earlier, that can be efficacious for them. But for us, brothers and sisters, there's no unseen force lurking on our shoulder. The only force is the force that we generate within ourselves. And if we're able to generate that force and consistently apply that force over time, no matter what happens to us, even if the gates of hell or at the, you know, at the, at the time of your death, it's going to apply. It's going to stay with you. But latching on to this outside stuff for us just doesn't work. I mean, it's wonderful that the one, I can safely say that in my own case, it's wonderful to me that the one observable fact I have in this world of sobriety is this word abstinence. Everything stems from that, from that observable fact, which takes us back to this whole idea of atheism and atheist thought having the word purity associated with it. We don't often have that word associated with us. But that is so central and so obvious and so real to me, right? It's as real to me as Jesus is to them. Realer. Because what I'm talking about actually exists. Right. And I think in this context, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, if you if something is very mystical and mysterious, then it's not clear at all. <laughs> you know, no, it's, it can it's confusing. Be <laughs> right. it, can, it can be confusing. It can be, you know, you can say, well, what what happens to me if I lost if I lose my faith? That can be a great fear. Some people walk around with a great fear, you know, the you know, uh, you know, and, and then, you know. You know, lunatics and manic depressives like Bill Wilson can, you know, pick it up and turn it around on you, all right? And then you can be in some real shit because you're not doing it right. I'm not telling anybody to do it right. I'm just saying it's something we must do. 
There's no right or wrong about it. It's, it's, it's pure. It's, it's taking us to something that we very seldom see in life. How often do you encounter something that works 100% of the time? Not often, no. Does your marriage work 100% of the time? Does your job work hundred for you 100% of the time? Does your government work for you 100% of the time? Does the weather work for you 100% of the time? All right. Does your car work 100% of the time? No. Abstinence works 100% of the time if you do it. It's guaranteed. And there's not many guarantees in life. So we're, you know, I'm, I, I, in some ways, I hate to be beating that sound almost sounds like I'm beating a horse. But if you get it, you get it and you've got it. And once you've got it, you've got it. Okay. I mean, that's right. But, but you have also written articles about basically a process that, that you go through as well. So that you, you know, that, that you recognize that abstinence is important that you you make a commitment, you make a decision. There are things that you do. How? Well, of course, because, I mean, but without that word, you can't do... You can't do anything. That's the most... Yeah, without that, everything everything rests on that. This is about this word and about atheism. I mean, but obviously, I had to, I had to stop drinking. I had to go to meetings. I had to learn how to share. I had to learn how to be of assistance to someone else. I, I had to learn all those things, which reinforced, to this day, reinforces my commitment to that word. Right? I, because when nobody's here and this apartment is empty and my wife is 10 time zones away, it's, you know, I'm, I'm totally a free agent on my own. I can do what I wish. but. I have something within me that keeps me from doing myself that sort of harm. What what is so satisfying about this is that your commitment to that word, once you get there, and I'm not saying it's instant or easy or even feasible for everyone, all right? But once you get there, you're there, all right? And you, it's something that you can rely on for the rest of your life. It's one of the things that you can rely on absolutely for the rest of your life, until the end of your life. And then you know that at least you've gotten through this life without conveying the misery around you that alcoholics and addicts convey. You're exempt from that. You're exempt from leaving that wreckage behind you simply because and primarily because you grasp this simple, pure concept that we must remain abstinent in order to be sober. Yeah, boy, oh boy, oh boy. So where are we in the understanding of all of this? Where are we in the final analysis with all of this? Okay. 
Uh, we know that this action works 100% of the time. And we're, we're postulating, and I'll, I'll, once again, I'll read from my little crib sheet here. We postulate based on our personal limitations, not some fantastic, fantastic truth that can't be proven. We're not postulating that there's some thing floating around in the air that we can't see or can't know or can't do we're, we're, that, that, that somehow is influencing things. We're not doing that, all right? Uh, that we're postulating that there's an empirical solution that requires no supernatural belief system to support it. And that is the, in essence, is the purity of what we're talking about here, which leads to one of their favorite words, humility. Strangely enough, atheists can develop, uh, even egotists like myself, okay, I'll admit that. Uh, I think it's sort of obvious. Even egotists can, can discover a true appreciation of their limitations, which is a foundation for being humble enough to know that your impact on the world is at least to some degree somewhat limited. All right? Which, in, paradoxically again enough, reinforces this idea of abstinence. Because that's one thing in life, at least, you know, in all humility, realizing your limitations, if you grasp and hold and take that word abstinence and take it with you, it's something you absolutely can do that has observable and achievable results all of the time. I don't have my doctors and nurses. I spent a lot of time with doctors and nurses the last couple of months. And I know what their attitude is toward active alcoholics that they deal with in these situations. And it's not good. They don't, it's not a hospital if you're an active alcoholic. It's not a good place to be because you're not going to be that, you know, they don't. Very few of them have a lot of, because they view it as something that, that the mess before them is something you created. You know, you know, I had none of that. In my, you know, I was like friends with all of them by the end. All right. Uh, I've been hugged on the way out the door, leaving a hospital. Okay. And not from any sense of obligation, but from a sense of, you know, and if I was a drinking, even at the end, even when you're old, even when, when stuff is going wrong all around you, if you've remained abstinence, abstinent, things will come to you that never would come to you any other way if you were a drunk or an addict. They wouldn't be looking at that distended belly of the person dying of cirrhosis with disdain. I once saw a friend of mine who died of alcoholism 
in a down, a very good downtown DC hospital. And she was a younger person and she had cirrhosis and she had that giant distended belly from cirrhosis. This is when I was still drinking. And I still vividly remember the way those people in that hospital treated her. And it was, it was appalling. It was, it was not good. It was bad. So I don't want to dwell on, you know, maybe I'm thinking about the end of all days because of my recent experiences, but this word and this idea and this set of, of principles can, well, not, I don't want to use the word principles. That gets too close to their bullshit. But, you know, this, this reductive concept takes you all the way through. It's great. I love it. I'm going to continue doing it. I'm never going to give up on it. Um, now, why can't we, you asked the question earlier, and it really is the one of the central questions in, in terms of what we do, is why can't we transfer this simple idea to everyone? It would seem if it's so simple, it can be transferred to everyone. Well, the mystery is, again, that it can't. And that's where the humility has to come in, where you as the individual do the best you can in your interaction with others. And you know that if only they would grasp the simplest of simple concepts, that many, if not, not all of their problems, but many of their problems would disappear and their lives would dramatically and drastically improve. But we can't do that. We can't go there. I wish we could. I, you know, I, I haven't seen, I've seen people make incredible changes in their life and go from, from literally less than zero to something, right? But I've seen the opposite happen. People that had every advantage, every capability, every any kind of uh, positive aspect that you could possibly want to have in a life to make a great life, piss it all away. And I've seen it happen not once, not twice, but many times. And, you know, I have to just humbly say, I'm going to do the best for myself. And possibly somewhere along the line, someone else will listen to or see something that makes sense to them, that works. And if this part of the abstinence, uh, this part of the not at the, this part of the atheist atheism series made sense to even one person and helped one person in their journey along the way here, then it's been a roaring success. Oh, I'll tell you the feedback that I get on these uh, that on these episodes that we have done has have been overwhelmingly positive. Can you give us a little preview of what the next next um, installment's going to be? Well, it's going to be, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, you know, I've got some notes here, and if I can find them, but I'm really sort of, uh, you know, I I came out of the hospital, and uh, I think I told you when I came out of the hospital, it was like fuzz in my head. Yeah. 
was just all the machines and all the drugs. Yeah, and, you you you, know, almost, you almost lost your life. Yeah, well, I had I you know we again not too personal, but I had septic shock, and forty percent of the people that gets it used to be, you know, in two thousand. 60% of the people that got septic shock died. Just I was going to say, my father died in 99 septic yeah, shock. Well, that was a 60% probability. Now they're doing so much better with ICU and other things. It's a 40% probability. And, you know, a, a lot of people like me come out of it disabled. A lot of people like me come out with incipient people my age in their 70s come out with incipient dementia. And, you know, I had a walker for a week or two. The walker's been put away, you know. Uh, It's folded up. It's not in use. And, you know, so, I mean, I've got a little, I got, but I still have this little uh, brain fog. But the next podcast, that I and I actually, I was doing a little brain exercise when I got out of the hospital. I'm starting to fool around with the essay on this one. this one, uh, the next one, uh, in terms of our atheism, is called Sobriety, Intuition, and the Importance of the Individual. I like it. Interesting. Sobriety, Intuition, and the Importance of the Individual. And I'm developing that slowly. Let's see how slow. Okay. That sounds really interesting. And you'll see the, when it's done, you'll see the essay first. And we'll have one of our usual pre-podcast chats about it. But that it's something that is really, it's interesting to me. And again, it may require some, I've got some of my books back here. It may require a little. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.